Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We almost never do this. No, that's not true. We never have done this. We've never done a face-to-face, live, in-person podcast. I am here in Austin, Texas, at the Texas Tribune Festival. With Tim Miller. With, with, I'm here. With, with Tim Miller. I'm, I'm touching your bony knee right I mean, now. That's right. We're that close to each other. Okay, what's the, with the bony knee thing? I thought you were going to give me shit for showing up wearing shorts and a t-shirt. But then, I, but, but then you're rocking these uh, like Bermuda shorts or something. Yeah, I got them in Brazil. Remember I had a little vacation earlier mm-hmm. this year um, for my age-redacted um, birthday. And uh, so I got some Brazil shorts. And, uh, you know, well, you look great. You're well, in an Arvat t-shirt rep, repping. I think you look fantastic. So, okay, so just to put this into context, you know, I, I fly down here from the Midwest on the first day of autumn, yep. thinking, hey, it's fall. I mean, how bad can yeah. it be? It was 98 fucking degrees when 98. I got out of the airplane. <laughs> Sorry. 98 degrees. But uh, this is a great event, and it's, it's, it's good talking with you, Tim. So last night, I don't know whether you caught it, they had the opening event. I missed. Uh, Evan Smith, who's the CEO and, uh, and founder of Trib, who, by the way, is going to be doing our panel yep. later today. Just for people who know, Amanda Carpenter, Tim, and I will be doing a panel here at the Tribune Festival. I think it's described as bullshitting with the bulwark or something like I that. I think they had a better name, but yeah. I think that's what it should have been called. Well, that's pretty much what it's going to be. Well, Evan sat down with Pete Buttigieg, and I have to say, I've, I've watched the guy before. He, he, you know, just bottom line, short take, gifted animal. I mean, it really is something watching. I've never seen him in person interact, and uh, I, I, I got to say that the guy's, the guy's still got some stuff. He's got it. Yeah. It's his wheelhouse. He's got it. He's good. He's sharp. I didn't get to watch him yesterday. Uh, came, I, you know, I just... I'm in Austin. I'm on yeah. a little holiday, so sure. I availed myself to some Mexican Tex-Mex dinner instead of going to see Mayor Pete. I did, was that a yeah. mistake? No, not I get, at all. I get no, to see I mean, him. You, you, you know I get, I get to see him a lot. But, you know, sometimes you do wonder, the Democrats, and we have this discussion about how they're just like desperately searching, a nationwide search for somebody who has political talent yeah. to unite the country, and it's like, he kind of is just sitting right there in the transportation uh, department. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, uh, obviously, there's some other political issues he would have should he ever run again um, and challenges, but he's pretty damn good. Well, I've always thought so, and I was actually kind of making mental notes because it's, look, we, you and I spend a lot of time around politicians, right? Or we're watching them or talking about them or thinking about them or, or, you know, cutting them off the knees or whatever. It's rare to find somebody who has the whole package. And I was watching him and he was talking about infrastructure and these wonky details that he was pulling out of some deep pocket where every question they asked him about some remote project somewhere, he knew it back and forth. And yet he does it in a way that's not pedantic. It's not the, okay, more Harvard asshole, I know all this stuff. And also he resisted the temptation to go for the sort of the MSNBC red meat rhetoric on yeah. a lot of things. He does something that's interesting. I, I was going to bounce this off you. He seems like the only guy who has really thought about how do I talk to the middle in this country? I'm sorry, he's obviously not the only guy that's thought about it. But clearly, he's thought about where we are in politics, why he needs to go on Fox News, yeah. and how you actually can change people's minds, which is vanishingly rare. The thing is that makes it so strange why it's so rare is it's not that hard, actually, to talk to. I mean, he's pretty liberal, mm-hmm. okay? And oh, it's yeah. not, he's not, like, particularly not center-left, squishy, yeah. moderate. 
But by going on Fox, like this is just a signaling thing, which is I'm going to talk to you. I'm going right. to talk down to you. I'm not going on Fox to troll you, right? When he's answering the questions, he thinks about, okay, how can I answer this question using normal person words, despite the fact that he's obviously yeah. smart, right. so normal person words that normal people use in conversation rather than, you know, what Jake Carville calls the faculty lounge bullshit, right? Like he talks like a normal person. This is the Kemp thing when I went down to Georgia and I, I sort of, Kemp. yeah, I sort of made fun of Brian Kemp about this in the article, but it's also true, which is he's signaling to Georgia moderates that he's a moderate by just stepping over the tiniest bar of being like, I'm not going to go along with the coup. Right, like by not going along with the coup and by not saying the most crazy rhetoric, all of a sudden, as I was interviewing voters, they're kind of like, he's a mainstream guy. It's like, not really, actually. Yeah. Brian Kemp is pretty down the line conservative. Right back in 2010, you know, back in the, yeah, in the normal days in 2012, if you're judging Brian Kemp on a continuum with like Mitt Romney and John Huntsman, my old boss, you would have said, Brian Kemp's the hardline Tea Party yeah. guy, right? Not, not a moderate, but he, he projects as moderate. Pete has the inverse of this, right? He just doesn't step into the lefty stuff that for some reason a lot of other Democrats yeah. can't help to avoid. The one other, just a little preview. One other guy who is good like this about Pete, who knows whether it will will hold up. But um, Jim Swift and I interviewed uh, Wes Moore, who's the Democratic go nominee for governor of Maryland last week. We've got a profile on him coming next week. And he's really talented, too. Mm. And he is also very conscious of just... It's kind of like it's kind of crazy to say this, like oh, using Obama rhetoric kind of puts you in the middle now. But he does; yeah. he has this sort of going back to the kind of progressive patriot. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, patriotism, yeah. unity. Yeah. We can all be. You know, I'm trying to talk to everybody, even in red parts of Maryland. Um, he talks about economic growth and entrepreneurship and innovation. I, you know, it's not just the class war, Elizabeth Warren stuff. Interesting. So anyway, we, you can read more about that on Monday. But the fact that that stands out for people like Pete and Wes is notable. It like kind of tells you where we are, that that is a rare thing, when that was kind of like the standard Democratic rhetoric for so, a while, not too long ago. So let, let's talk about uh, all, all of the news of the day. And, and, there, and there, was some, there was some good news, and there was some just normally insane news. In other words, it was just a regular uh, week. I, I, I have to tell you, I'm a little bit stuck on this whole Judge Deary story, okay. the special master yeah. from, from New York who continues, and remember, he was the guy that Trump chose to be the special master, and he keeps just slapping these guys down. And yesterday, he tells the Trump's people, hey, basically put up or shut up. You know, you've been implying, you've been insinuating that the FBI agents planted the information, okay? Yeah. I want you to now tell the court, this federal court, whether th this actually happened. Also, you've been implying that some of these records had been declassified. You said this outside of court. Are you gonna say this now to me? And a reminder that social media is different than being in a federal court. So I think this is kind of interesting the way it's, I mean, this has been, and I, look, I, I don't want to be part of a, another montage of, you know, the walls are closing in around Donald <laughs> Trump thing. I mean, we've kind of been doing that, but this was a really bad week for Trump in the it's courts. pretty nice. I mean, he's getting sued yeah. by Tish James. He's, he's, like, his little Carroll truths, thing? do you watch yeah. his truths? They're pretty strange about, I mean, they're always strange, yeah. but he's like making up weird names about her um, uh, that aren't really landing. Yeah, to Jean Carroll, my friend Robbie mm -hmm. Kaplan is, is representing her and that suit is, is coming back to a head. You know, there's, there's been a little kind of fake drama around Hannah's art this week. I did, can I just comment about this for a second? I just, she's so great, Hannah Yost, our art director. But I've, I have been disappointed about one thing, not the weird AI art, which I think has been cool. But 
that Trump having a special master and having the special master slap him down provides a lot of evocative images for me that I wish, you know, yeah, I wish we could go there. Okay, you have to like use the special master. <laughs> master. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I a whip, don't. maybe. I, I just Can we have a I whip? I just, okay, so we're like, we're <laughs> 10 minutes into this and we're already talking about, you know, Tim Miller's kinks. I mean, I just, no, um, this was not the kind of master that I think that, that Donald Trump wanted. This was, <laughs> but this he's was, kind this of not, been that. But, but, you know, okay, so you, you have all these lawsuits, you have uh, the various things that are going on. I think the Washington Post said there are eight ongoing criminal or civil investigations. And I was thinking, okay, if I sat here, how long would it take me to come up with all eight of them just to keep track? But the declassification drama continued and so my second favorite story, after Judge Deary basically telling Trump's people to put up or shut up, is Trump kind of flailing around here on all of this. And this is my favorite soundbite of the week. Uh, the former president of the United States goes on Sean Hannity to explain that he can declassify things just with his mind. Mm. A president has the power to declassify. Correct. Okay. You had said on Truth Social a number of times you did de declassify. I did declassify, yes. Okay. W is there a process? What was your process to declassify? It doesn't have to be a process, as right. I understand it. You know, there's different people say different right. things, but as I understand, there doesn't have to be. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it, <laughs> because you're sending it to Mar-a-Lago or to wherever you're sending it, and there doesn't have to be a process. There can be a process, but there doesn't have to be. You're the president. You make that decision. So when you send it, it's declassified. We, I declassified everything. It's just like magic. <laughs> you know, some, just we a just little... indict him with our minds? <laughs> I, I, our mind. <laughs> I was indicting him with my mind this week, actually. You know, I've been trying so hard to not get hope about the indictment, yeah, but every time right. a new thing comes yeah. up, just I'm getting right. weak. I'm getting weaker. Yeah. Uh, a little backstory on how these Hannity interviews go with somebody who unfortunately has been in that uh, seat of prep. Hannity preps with you, mm -hmm. right? I mean, some of these other Fox shows, they might be propagandists, but you know, they, all, they have their own agendas. Yeah. And, you know, Hannity is, is a classic North Korea-style propagandist, yeah. right? Him and Trump sit together. You know, I'm he, going to ask you this. this he advises him, yeah. like, hey, I think you should maybe say this, yeah. right? Like spitball stuff. Trust me, I've been in the rooms with him when he does this, not with Trump, but with Hannity and other candidates. So that is just, I, I think, emphasizes how much he's flailing. <laughs> that it's like they prepped for this, and Hannity still asked him, do you have a process? And Trump's like, nah, nah, no process. I just happened with my mind. The other, which wasn't included in this clip, my personal favorite, was a different answer, uh, where he suggests that it's possible that they were searching for Hillary Clinton's emails in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's a long interview, so you, I'm, you didn't have to suffer through the whole thing. But yeah, Trump's like, well, you know, the FBI had to come down, and why? who knows why they could have come down. I didn't think there was anything in there, but we never found those emails. Maybe they thought, yeah. I don't know why he thought that the emails might have been in Mar-a-Lago. But see, this is why, and, and again, I, I, I caution against irrational hope about any of these <laughs> indictments and everything, but... There is that moment where Donald Trump is in front of a judge or in front of a grand jury, and it's going to be very difficult to be Donald Trump because the guy lies and throws bullshit against the wall so much. And here you have a federal judge saying, you want to say that here in court where it might actually count? Do you really want to say this under oath? This is part of the problem is that at some point he says all of this stuff. If he's ever put on the record in a court proceeding, he either he can plead the Fifth Amendment he can repeat it under oath, yeah. 
Or he can say, no, I was just bullshitting. Right. And I do think the civil courts, because we've gone around and around on this, which is like some of the problems of him actually getting indicted in criminal criminally held to account is you need to have juries and yeah. is there one person on the jury. Civil court's a different animal, right? Like you get sued, you get deposed. You know, we just saw this with our friends at uh, Project Veritas, yeah, right? Yeah, they just got right. taken to civil court this yeah. week. So nice, another little piece Awkward. of good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah six yeah. figures uh, we saw with Alex Jones, right? So civil court is revealing, right, in a way that maybe we don't get the perp walk of our dreams, but um, that they start to get bled out a little bit. Yeah, and for people who are, you know, thinking that there's there's this great nemesis coming, and and, and maybe perhaps it, it is, you mentioned Alex Jones. Alex Jones is having a, also a terrible week in yeah. court where he's, again, under oath. He's, he's on the stand making a complete ass of himself, which he does on a regular basis. He's being asked about things that he said or done in the past, and they play the tape of him saying it. Right. it, it it's, it's bad. And you know, I, I think in part of our minds, we're thinking, okay, well, this is kind of going to be the end of Alex Jones because he's so completely discredited, you know, mocking these dead children at Sandy Hook. I see this week, the Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk, who has really become central now in, in MAGA GOP world, is now featuring Alex Jones at TPUSA events. So in, in other words, rather than the right basically saying, hey, let's let's move on without these complete nut jobs, crazed, you know, bigots and everything. No, we're going to double down on them. This is, is important to bring up because just how, when you say central, the Charlie Kirk and TPUSA is, it really is, uh, you know, the entire web of the kind of Republican Party, this new MAGA establishment, like they're a central node in it, right? Yeah, and they're taking so. the place of right. what of stuff that the parties used to do, right? Because right. those parties have been weakened. We've talked about this. There's There's a big a event of, up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, just this last weekend yeah. where all the Republican candidates were there. Sponsored by them. Sponsored by TPUSA, which again, and to your point, they have really become the new RNC. Yeah, and yeah. that's who was sponsoring the DeSantis events. So it's just remember when DeSantis is traveling around the country campaigning for Mastriano, I think, and I forget which, which there were like three or four of the gubernatorial candidates, um, and including Mastriano, uh, and, and they were sponsoring those events. So to have you know, Alex Jones as a special guest, and if you watch that video, Kirk is teasing, like an exciting yeah. guest to the crowd, right? You can see buzz building, and, and then he says, oh, it's not going to be the big guy. You know, it's not going to be Donald, right? And you hear a little disappointment. But he's like, it's going to be somebody that the media hates even more than Donald. And they show Alex Jones. And sometimes they show the video of these things, and you're watching them, and you're like, I don't know if that's really landing with the crowd. That wasn't the case this time. You can't see it because people start standing up. There's a standing ovation. Yeah, people take away... This is deeply concerning, right? Like that the, the, the types of people- <laughs> A rare that moment are, <laughs> of understatement on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the types of people that are screaming, jeering for this lying, pernicious ass pimple, like are the same people that are there for, you know, your average Republican House candidate event, right? Like that is the core of, what, of what's happening. Well, uh, you know- I, I don't want to get too, you know, meta here, but okay. but once you basically embrace, you know, the orange god king and say this is the guy we want to be our leader forever and back in the Oval Office, then basically all those other standards for everybody else kind of have to be scrapped. So speaking of trolling and and Ron DeSantis, okay. uh, I don't know whether you caught it, but uh, uh, the governor of Florida shared some deep thoughts about American history. I mean, this guy is a he's a thinker. He is not merely an internet troll from Tallahassee, he, he also has some thoughts about the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. Harvard. Uh, this yeah, is the yeah, Ivy League. Yeah, that's, yes, he's from Harvard. Let's play that. 
for example, the 1619 Project is a CRT version of history. It's uh, supported by the New York Times. They want to teach our kids that the American Revolution was fought to protect slavery. And that's false. We know why the American Revolution was fought. They wrote pamphlets. We saw them dump tea into the Boston Harbor. We saw them meet in Philadelphia. And we have the records of why they revolted against King George III. And so it was the American Revolution that caused people to question slavery. No one had questioned it before we decided as Americans that we are endowed by our creator with unalienable rights and that we are all created equal. Then that birth abolition movements. So you can't teach history that's being used to pursue an ideological agenda. You can't teach uh, that the foundations of our country uh, were somehow evil. Yeah, let, let's leave aside the 1619 Project, which does have some, uh, shall we say, problematic elements. I really like the part how no one questioned okay. slavery before 1776. <laughs> no, uh-uh. No You want to take the, the high lob there? No <laughs> one questioned it. Worldwide. Uh, I, I think we were the last, actually, to get rid of slavery. I, 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 I don't I, know if I, we were the first. I, I think actually, it might have been the inverse to that. I actually know some people, they're no one, but some people who might have questioned slavery. Like the, the slaves, slaves <laughs> themselves. <laughs> but apparently they become sort of invisible in, in Ron DeSantis' world. Like, nobody thought this was wrong. Wait, there's like a million slaves going, uh, we would like a word? We would like to talk about this? The slave owners were actually the first ones to determine that slavery was wrong. I, I, the Orwellian nature of the end of this, too, which is like, we cannot let our children be taught an ideological history. They have to be taught real history, such as... The great white American founders were the first ones to question slavery. It's, you know, it's like he's doing exactly the thing that he is accusing the other side of doing in, in like the most ham-fisted way possible. It also makes me reflect back on the Common Core. You remember the Common Core oh, controversy? Yeah, absolutely. I had to deal with this as Jeb's spokesperson. Right. There was this big complaint at Common Core ostensibly among the conservatives was that, you know, we don't want government setting curriculum standards, right? We don't want these top-down government curriculum standards. Now, that concern about government setting curriculum standards has, has, been, has been pushed aside because we have a new thing, which is patriotic core. <laughs> Patriot core. Patriot core is cool, okay? It's like America was wonderful from the start. It has no flaws. Our great patriotic leaders were the ones that ended slavery and started the abolition movement. And anyone that questions anything America that ever ever did, they are wrong. That's our new patriotic core history in Florida. It's, it's, it's not quite history, but it's something. Yeah, you actually have to work pretty hard to come up with the, you know, that no one had thought this was a problem before. <laughs> I mean, really, you do. And, and We just and, went through the British, the Queen. We were just talking yeah. about, we just learned about all this so, on so the news. What was Wilberforce's first name? The, but I mean, the, the great story of the abolitionists in England, what they yeah, did right. long before the American Civil War. So I'm sorry, I'm having this uh, this post-traumatic flashback when you're talking about the Common Core, because that was a very 1980s issue. And so here we're sitting in, can I just have a digression yeah, here? Please, let's oh, digress. Okay, so. We're sitting here in Austin, Texas, where it's 97 degrees, 98 degrees. I thought it was I mean, nice this morning. It was kind of balmy. Okay, well, yeah, it's, it's like 8 o'clock in the morning here, you know, yeah. But the first time I was in Austin, Texas was in January during an ice storm. And it must have been January of like 1997. I'm a little vague on all this, but George W. Bush was governor. And I was here to do some speaking events around, around the state, and the the Texas Policy Institute or whatever, which yeah. has gone complete MAGO yeah, now. now. But at the time, they actually arranged a meeting in the governor's office. Okay. But I had to walk over 
from my hotel to the state capitol, which we can see from where we're sitting right now, and everything was covered in ice, absolutely covered in, in ice. I mean, because down here in Texas, unlike in Wisconsin, they do not have snow plows, they do not have salt, they don't know what to do in the middle of an ice storm. And I, it was the longest walk of my life because I'm wearing these sort of you know, shoes and well, slipping, 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 and I get there. And Bush is the only person in the Capitol. I mean, the place is completely shut down. And so we had scheduled a 15-minute talk about education yeah. policy. And it turned into an hour and a half because he said, I had nothing else to do. And so we bullshitted about all kinds of things. But I remember we were talking about, at that time, he was pushing education reforms, which we would think of as pretty moderate, pretty non-controversial. Like race and, to the top style. But there was this stuff. extreme sort of fundamentalist right that was shooting at him because of this, you know, the government should never tell us what we teach in our right. schools. We should all require McGuffey's reader and everything. And I remember he was sitting there, and this feels like a different, it was a different century, literally, where he's talking about, you know, these nut jobs, these extremists, you know, and fuck them, I'm still gonna go ahead with what I'm gonna do. So the common core, I'm, I am having that Austin flashback here. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I just have one other thing on DeSantis. I don't know if you're yeah, ready no, to I want to go. No, I'm not ready to move Okay, on great. Um, did you see the Jared Kushner thing? I'm taking the host chair for a second. Yeah. We're together, yeah, yeah, so yeah, we're yeah, sort yeah. of rotating. Did you see Jared Kushner's comment about DeSantis no. and the Martha Vineyard? I had my first moment of thinking, I'm pretty bearish on the idea that DeSantis could go head-to-head with Trump. Yeah. Just We just listened to that video. He has an annoying voice. You know, it's just, he says, it feels very Cruz and Walker-ish, you know, where he's going to try to suck up to Donald and then try to criticize him in in his, like, weird think-I'm-clever way, and then, like, Donald's going to call him, like, Fatty McFatface or something, and, you know, everybody will be like, ah, you did it, Orange God King. That's always been my... It's going to happen. Yeah, that's kind of been my vision. But then that little weaselly Jared was on Fox this week, and he was saying that he thought that Ron DeSantis... He just needs to tweet these people like humans, like they aren't humans. Uh, he's, he's using them like pawns, and he's like, no, it's I, 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 I really want to hear Donald, the, the, the yeah. Donald pick that thing, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was watching that, and I was, it was my first moment where I was like, I don't know, maybe Ron Santos has these guys flanked. Like, if they feel like they have to criticize him from the humanitarian perspective. And I, I, I got a kick out of A, just Jared, all for six years, we had to listen to Jared through the reporters behind the scenes. It was like, Javanka is upset about this, Mm -hmm. right? But they never, but now that he's selling a book, he has to do it in public. And it just sounds so weak and pathetic and you don't believe it. And he's like, not he's like this animatronic person pretending to have human feelings. So it's it's like, not like I really believe that Jared actually cares about the humanity of these people. I mean, he was in there during the child separation. He's doing business with, (laughs) but it's interesting that they feel a little bit cornered on this one. That like that, that DeSantis kind of has the nuts that the voters want the cruelty and dehumanization. That's what they want. Trump is not in the picture, right? Right. He doesn't have, it's not like he's going to use his own money to start flying the Mar-a-Lago employees to Martha Vineyard, I guess, is is, uh, undocumented immigrant employees. So they don't like have a way into the story. Now, Jared is obviously not his id. Don Jr. would be Trump's id. So maybe Don Jr. would have a better take on this. But I don't know. It was the first moment that I thought maybe like a hint of weakness. With well, the they're race. annoyed. You know they're annoyed because he's taken his issue. He can't say anything about it really right. publicly. He can't 
endorse it because then he looks kind of beta, right? Nice. Did, right. did you say that? Am I just repeating you from no. one of the secret podcasts? No. I mean, um, and he's obviously Dude, not, I he, it, it's hard for him, you know, to figure out, to, to get to the right or the left of him. I'm, I'm not sure it's very on brand to, you know, talk about using people as human pawns. I thought maybe he would say that, no, DeSantis is a cuck because we should have the death penalty for all illegal immigrants or something like that. But I guess the other vulnerability of DeSantis, and I, by the way, agree that this is electorally probably working for him because it's focusing on the border, et cetera. But the other weak spot is the the flat out fraud. I, I don't think Sonny Bunch has gotten enough credit for pointing out that in that brochure they gave to the migrants, they had a fake flag of Massachusetts that somebody Googled. And then they had all this information telling these people what they were going to do. And it seems increasingly likely every single day we get another indication that this is, is not like close to fraud or near fraud. This is just pure raw fraud. Yeah, and, my, mm-hmm. and the Miami Herald had a good report about a different group yeah. that they were going to um, uh, try to draw to Delaware, I guess. And uh, the right. Keystone Cops, a little, little secret plan sort of yeah, yeah, fell apart and they backed off on it. And uh, so I think there could be some legal exposure here for sure. So, I, you know, we've talked about this in some of the other podcasts, but I, I, I you know, I, I'm not certain, you know, JBL compared this to Bridgegate. And I, and I do think that's a kind of an apt comparison that in that era in the Bridgegate era, like Christie thought he was being clever and politically hard hitting, but I didn't, you know, he's getting crushed every day. There's a new leak about, about how this was illegal and, you know, his own yeah. staff is turning on him and that, you know, now we're foying the documents and that's a leak. And back then, I think that really hurt him because there was this very large cloud around him. And now, I just don't know if that matters, right? Like, if the Miami Herald is doing drip, drip, drip on this every day, does that even actually hurt DeSantis at all? I'm not sure. So I think that that same environment could surround him, but it's unclear to me whether it would actually matter to his base. You used a phrase, I think, during that podcast that kind of stuck with me, that this was in the era when the media could still hold Republicans accountable, right? And they're like, we don't live in that world anymore. And again, I've been pretty clear how I feel about Ron DeSantis, you know, the cruelty being the point, you know, that it's all about, you know, the the trolling libs. But let me just just step back for a moment. And I think people need to understand why this is playing so strongly with the other side. Yes, there is, you know, the, the cruelty, et cetera. But as somebody said to me last night, you know, it would be interesting if we paid as much attention to what's happening in in El Paso every single day as what's happening in Mar-a-Lago. The point being, there's a there is a problem with the border. It is not going well. And you know, every day that we now are talking about this, we're talking about an issue the Republicans want to talk about as opposed to abortion. But Can we you know, build a wall. Well, we no. I thought we built the wall. Yeah, and Mexico paid for it. Uh, that didn't work. But we have. A problem, right? I mean, I and- guess but I hear you, but I, I, DeSantis doesn't have a problem. DeSantis no, no, has no. a gulf and an, an ocean around yeah. his state, yeah. and and there is no, uh, you know, DeSantis doesn't have any more of a migrant crisis problem than Delaware does, or that Massachusetts. This is why he looks so silly yeah. that he's you know going to get people from Texas to fly there. And that's but, where the attention is there because okay. there's been some attention on Greg Abbott's deal, which I also think mm-hmm. is trolling and kind of pathetic. It's Again, it's one thing if Greg Abbott, not DeSantis, DeSantis' whole situation is ridiculous, but it's one thing if Greg Abbott said, okay, we can't handle this anymore, right? And we need help. Right. And so I'm calling 
Charlie Baker, and I'm calling, you know, the governor of Delaware, and we're going to work with you to send some migrants up there. That's one thing, but that's not what he's doing. No, because he's, he's not trying to solve he's the not problem. Trying to he's solve not trying the to help. Right, and so I don't know, you know, and then they had the California, I think this bears mention, I've wanted, been wanting to mention this on a podcast, there is a blue state that actually yeah. has a border. Yeah. My state, California. You know, it's a progressive so, uh, hellscape. Yeah, it's a progressive hellscape. Yeah. You don't see uh, Gavin Newsom saying we can't handle the Tijuana entrance, so we're going to send these we're going to send these people into Arizona. You really right? want to use California as a model of how well, no, it's, I, it's, it's working well? Well, I mean, I guess I'm just saying California as a state has plenty of problems, no mm. doubt. But the California border situation is again not a we no border situation is ideal. Part of that is a global geopolitical economic problem. Like I don't know what Greg Abbott or Gavin Newsom or Joe Biden is supposed to do about the gangs in El Salvador and Guatemala or the communist dictator in Venezuela that is drawing these people here. But what my point is that there is a Democratic governor that is managing a border and doing so without you know, crying to Fox News about how he needs to, he needs help from you know the mar- the the Republican elites. So I I was talking to some swing Republican voters about all of this, and it was interesting how often um, the issue of sanctuary cities comes up. Like what? And, and 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 this is something that that I do think we need to talk about. You know what? We keep because we all talk about the rule of law, and we have to have the rule of law. And then on the other hand, but sanctuary cities, which basically say we're going to ignore the law. Um, are and, and this is, again, part of what is going on right now. You want to be a sanctuary city? Okay, here, sanctuary these people. So, you know... You're coming to the immigration squish for this? Are you ready? You ready for my... Yeah, I'm no. like the total... Immig- immigration is my squishiest issue. I'm like to the left of Biden on it. But uh, here's the thing. This annoys me, this argument, this rule of law argument about the undocumented immigrants, because... Well, I'm sorry. Here, okay, so here's the thing. Excuse the, okay, me. So the rule... The, I fi- I, after all of these years, I finally come finally up with a question to, to annoy <laughs> Tim Miller. Okay, so here's the problem. Okay, th- there can be plenty of legal remedies and issues to deal with people coming across the border. Right? Part of the rule of law issue is that we, we aren't funding our courts enough to deal with all the asylees that are coming here. So we should be funding the border courts to be able to deal with these people. There, can, there also, you know, can be punishments short of deportation that, that are here for the rule of law. This is my problem is the people who only say, well, why don't we have the rule of law for illegal immigrants are like, well, we need to deport them. Like the deporting is the right solution. I mean... Are we doing death penalty for for Donald Trump and Javanka? I mean, right? Like that we can have a range of of legal solutions here that isn't you know putting people on buses back to Mexico. But the whole sanctuary thing is um, we are carving out yeah. this part of the United States where we are not going to cooperate or enforce United States law. I mean, you understand how. There are people who go, wait, this just sounds wrong to me. I mean, I guess. I, I, why, okay. why does it sound wrong to them, okay. though? What, the, the are they, they're the upset. What do they want? I, oh. I guess what I'm asking is what do they want? Okay. They want the Oakland mayor to be giving undocumented immigrants living in Oakland to the Department of Homeland Security so they can bus them back to Mexico? Like, what, I just don't know, understand what they, what they want. From, well, well, they want a lot of things. I mean, they pretty much probably want the same thing that you would want if Texas declares itself a sanctuary state for Donald Trump and Ivanka <laughs> and Eric and Donald Jr. I mean, you know, when it comes to 
gun legislation or, or when it comes to felony convictions of the former president. If a locality or a state said, we are a sanctuary state, if Donald comes here, we will make sure that he is not arrested, that, that there like are federal. no legal consequences. Come on, I'm we just saying- We don't like federalism anymore? I'm just saying that we if you- if you play, in different states, If different you live cities. by the sanctuary city <laughs> thing, you might have to die by the sanctuary okay. city All thing. Right. I, I do not share the concerns about this. Part of the reason is because the federal immigration laws, like aren't being enforced by anybody. We don't have a federal immigration law or federal immigration system. And so this is one city that's basically saying, okay, undocumented immigrants who are living here, who who we don't really have a solution for, Congress is uninterested in solving the problem. They can live in our city and not have the fear of deportation. They can work here. They can be here with their families. You know, they're not all rapists and criminals with watermelon thighs or whatever Donald Trump used to say about them. You know, is that a Steve King thing? When they're coming across the border, they're they're. He, I'm uh, sure hand, he, he was thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> he was yeah. thinking about. I think, I think it was a Steve King yeah, thing. Many of them are just people that are trying to work and make a living for their family, and I think that it's okay for them to live in Oakland and not be not be worried that the that ICE is going to come banging down their door. That's me. Can we talk about something that actually some good news, some indications that. That, that, that perhaps the world is not totally uh, falling apart? Yeah, where'd you get that from? Uh, yeah, what is that about? Know, is nice. that... I'm living the writer's life in California yeah. right now, typing my articles, sitting out on the balcony. Feel it's good. Well, yeah, it's, it's like it, we're it, in the it, summer. We have kind of a, it's good to a be late a summer. New York Times best-selling it author. Well, you 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 have, you have like three events today here in Texas, and, and a book signing, right? Yeah. And a it's trivia tough. contest. Um, uh, yeah. It's Do tough. you have to come up with the trivia stuff? Uh, they've given me the questions. I'm kind of like Alex Trebek or uh, Anchorman, really. They just they put the questions in the teleprompter, and I read them and throw a couple jokes out there. I'm excited. I'm gonna be working the room, doing a little crowd, light crowd work. So while I was walking around last night, I was chatting with a guy who's one of our podcast listeners, yeah. and he said that uh, he's looking forward to coming to your event tonight. Trivia. And he said, I'm going to be wearing an LSU sweatshirt because I hope that that sort of biases Tim in my favor. I said, I, I can't speak for him, so I don't know. So if you see a, a guy with an LSU, you just understand that that's a specific attempt. Okay, to, to curry favor with to, the host. To, to I'm not up. giving out any. I've already had some requests for the answers, actually, from people. And I care about the rule of law and running a tight ship when it comes to pub trivia, okay? So there's going to be no cheating. Well, okay, so there, there is some good news. I want to. There's some bad news as well, but the Electoral Count Act, which yeah. we have been railing about for months that if there's one minimal thing that you could do to prevent the kind of coup that almost happened on January 6th, it's you change that incredibly stupid, antiquated 18-whatever law. And finally, the House of Representatives did it, and they got nine Republican votes, nine whole freaking yeah. Republican votes. Let's talk to the bad. We got good news. I want to get to the good news on the back end. The bad news first. Boy, Crystal, I think, put this best. There were zero Republicans who are up for election this November Ooh, who voted I to can... reform the Electoral Count Act. I missed that. Zero. Eight. So there was the eight impeachers out of the 10 who are already on their way out the door via retirement or primary loss. The two who won their primaries did not vote for it. And then one additional retiring House member. So no one who's up for re-election voted for it. Okay, Jesus. so that is the bad news. So it's, much for Team Normal, right? Yeah, I it mean, is, yeah, it's fucking depressing. It's just, again, it's like, are, are you worried you're going to get primed? What is even the fear? Yeah. I just, okay, I'm going to rant about this for one second before we get to the good news. Sorry. We always do this. We're like, here's good news. Let me talk about the bad well, part well, first. Well, okay, I'll make it worse. Just in case anybody has any doubt about what's going to happen with the Republican Congress next year, yeah. they will vote to impeach Joe Biden, and every Republican that wants to stay a Republican in Congress will vote for it. 
Yeah, almost everyone at least, yeah. But meanwhile, every single one of them that just want to fix this law so we can just count the votes. I was always skeptical of the story. There were these leaks yeah. out of House Republicans that were like, I wanted to vote for impeachment. Yeah. I think you should have been impeached, but I can't do it because I'm worried for my physical safety. Yeah. I'm yeah. literally, I'm worried that the, that the deplorables are going to come with pitchforks to my house and burn it down. And I'm worried about my family and my wife. And I always felt like that was kind of, it felt like the characters and why we did it. It mm-hmm. kind of felt like an excuse, like a very, an excuse that makes you feel good, right? right? Like the right. junior, the Messiah yeah. sent the, like that, oh, yeah. I would do the right thing, but, but it, it, we need good people like me here. There is just no explanation for saying, I wanted him impeached, but I couldn't do it because we need good people in here and I'm worried about my safety, to then two years later when they say, okay, we're going to just fix this arcane law to make sure that if this happens right. again, you know, if he wants to run again, can run right. fair and square right. and win right. fair and square, okay. But, but just to make sure we can't cheat it right. next time uh, and then not vote for that. Yeah. Right? Like, to me, that just reveals that all of those assholes were pretty much on the team coup, right? They wanted to pretend like they were on team normal and say things like that so they could hang out in polite company, you know, here in Austin at the Omni. But they didn't actually want to do anything, even the most minimal possible thing, like reforming the Electoral Count Act to, to safeguard the elections. Okay. No. Yeah. The good side, though. I think we have 10 senators. Pat Toomey signed on yesterday and indicated that they think that they have 10 senators. And so this is, I think, the fourth time, right, on a big thing, chips, guns, yeah. infrastructure, mm-hmm. that we've gotten senators. I want to just give a Sarah Longwell shout-out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you and me and Amanda getting all the love tonight, so we might as well give Sarah Longwell a shout-out. She was the most optimistic about this. All of us were pretty pessimistic about the notion that, that the Senate could actually do bipartisan stuff anymore. I was pretty pessimistic. You heard a lot of people on lefty podcasts who were like, Joe Biden is evil for even trying to work with Republicans. How do you pick up the phone right. when a Republican calls? Like They'll never vote for anything. Well, they ended up voting for four things, pretty meaningful things. I think important progress and legislation. Obviously, this electoral conduct would maybe be the biggest one. And so to get 10 senators really did undermine that. Like the... To Biden's credit, the theory of the case that you could work the Senate still and get over the filibuster, get to 60, and decent things passed, and it hasn't happened yet. But so it, is, I, is Mitch McConnell on board with this? I think so. Okay, because this is, again, this is bare minimum fixing the Electoral yeah. Count Act. I mean, this should not be controversial. This should be as... This should be as bland as you possibly can get. And Mitch McConnell, who uh, we're just reading in this new book that's coming out, you know, I mean, understood that, that Trump should have been impeached. He should have been removed from office. He understands exactly what was. The speech he gave about the attempts to overturn the election are crystal, crystal clear. This, Could have been on the bulwark. This should be, the, yeah. He, if you took right. his name off Absolutely. of it and put Mona Jaren's name on it, yeah. like you won't, really wouldn't have known the difference. No, absolutely. So this should get 78 or, or 80 votes. But, but to your point about the... The fact that there are no members of Team Normal who are actually in anymore. This is the fundamental flaw of this. Well, you have to stay relevant, you know, um, argument. This is the one I had with uh, Rich Lowry a couple of months back, where his criticism of Liz Cheney was, well, okay, but, you know, it was more important for her to keep a seat at the table. Because at some point, you need to be at the table in order to do the right thing. Therefore, you can never, ever, ever do the right thing that will justify. That's the problem with it. It becomes circular. You know, we need to vote this way so that we are here because worse people than us will be here. But then when it comes down to it, a vote like this, what do they do? So here's the thing about that is that not only is that a morally empty posture that Rich Lowry's taken, but practically over the medium term, 
it's, it's actually the wrong posture for staying relevant, too. And just look at what's happening in the Republican caucus. Look at what's happening to National Review. Like, let's be honest. National yeah. Review is getting squeezed, mm-hmm. right? The MAGAs don't like it. The remaining sane people <laughs> are leaving the National Review. It's getting squeezed as far as being relevant. It's clearly not. If you're a Republican member of Congress and the National Review criticizes you, do you care? I, I think you kind of look at it like if the bulwark criticizes you. I don't think you care, right, uh, anymore, which was different back when I was working for campaigns. Meanwhile, if you look at Mitch, I think part of the reason Mitch can be going along with things like this is I, the writing is sort of on the wall for Mitch. I, you know, it's possible he can get to be Senate Majority Leader one more time, right, And if they if they pick up a seat this fall, which is, I think, a coin flip at this point. But then if Trump gets back in, you know, he's not going to be the Senate majority leader again, right? Like over time, the Senate caucus, you know, who knows who comes in, the J.D. Vances. This group isn't going to want Mitch to be in leadership. Mitch is the least popular politician in America. There was a list of uh, favorability of things. I always uh, use this as a running joke for my uh, far lefty friends. The only per- the only thing less popular than Mitch McConnell was to fund the police. So it's like they <laughs> yeah. testified. Mitch has like a 12% approval rating. So, so this strategy of like kind of acknowledging that you know that the anti-democratic stuff is wrong, but not really doing anything about it, but not really cheering it on that Rich Lowry is arguing, you know, keeps you in the mix, keeps you at the table, is, is really just a path to irrelevance. Just a little longer one. You just get to hang on with your fingernails for a couple more weeks. Okay, see, here's an irony. If you're Mitch McConnell, though, you're looking back and you're going, okay, I, I've had a pretty good run. And what is he most proud of? What is he most proud of? He's most proud of the court, of the, of the federal judiciary. And to the extent that MAGA world is willing to, you know, give some props to, to McConnell, it's because he did such a good job with the federal judges. Oh, wait, <laughs> because this federal judiciary thing might not play out for MAGA the way they had thought it was going to play out. See how he looped that all back together. That's OK, true. so we had to get back to the bad news. You did. You're not my party about uh, the vote to codify same-sex marriage. This is the low-hanging fruit to basically say Supreme Court is never going to overturn this. Let's make sure that millions of people who are married, you know, have, you know, legal status. You obviously it's a personal issue for you. So what's what's going on with what should be a slam dunk vote in the Senate on this? It's even because, you know, in the media, you're trying to explain things in the quickest way. It's even a more of a low hanging fruit than you think, because this bill, the the uh, Respect for Marriage Act, doesn't actually protect Obergefell because for some arcane legal reasons, it kind of can't. It just it just reverses DOMA. So all this bill actually does is ensure that federal recognition on tax status and various things for existing marriages is protected, right? That you can't Mm -hmm. take it away. You can't annul. The government isn't going to annul my marriage, right? But what it doesn't do is, like, demand that Alabama in the future can't pass a law that we're going to ban gay marriage in Alabama if the Supreme Court were to overturn Obergefell. So it's like... Literally just protecting existing marriages. Oh, wow. It's not okay. even a fact. No, yeah, that. yeah. So it's the lowest hanging yeah. fruit imaginable. So this should be a 100 to zero Senate vote. Or, you know, there are a couple of assholes over there. Ted Cruz isn't going to do it. We're here in Texas. Got to shout him out. Yeah. So 98 to two or whatever. So it passed the House already. 47 Republican votes. Not gr- bad, but not not yeah, great. But, uh, but okay. Yeah. But <laughs> so we'll take it. They're saying that essentially behind the scenes, we're reading tea leaves here. I asked Chris Murphy about this. I'm trying to ask some friends who work in the Senate. The Republicans are signaling to Schumer and Baldwin, okay, we'll, we'll vote for this, but let's like, let's put it in the lame duck. Let's not politicize this by having this vote protecting marriage before the election. And after the election, there's this lame duck period where it's this existing Congress votes before the new Congress comes in, but it's after the midterms. And we'll vote for it then. 
And like my, I thought about that, and I had talked to some of my friends. We're like, okay, well, that's maybe the right thing to do, just to, you know, better safe than sorry. Why play politics with this? And the more I thought about it, I was like, actually, fuck that, <laughs> fuck these guys. They just don't want to go on record. Uh, let's right. vote for it now. I kind of think the ten votes would appear. I, I really do. It's a, you know, this is one of those history votes. A lot of all these retiring folks, you know, your Toomeys that we're talking about, your Richard Burrs. They're really on the way out the door going to vote against this because of some petty procedural thing where they're annoyed that it ha- the vote happened in September, not December. Uh, maybe, maybe. But then let them own that. Let them, let them argue and say, oh, the Democrats are politicizing this very obvious protecting gay marriage vote right before the midterms. I don't know. It just seems like a time for hardball. Um, hopefully, you know, it'll happen in the, in the lame duck regardless, but you just never know who knows what happens, right? The, who, like you, the election you, you is weird. Know. There's a, there's, you know, we have these claims of fraud again. We saw it happen after the 2020 election. The lame duck kind of doesn't really happen. You know, who, who the hell knows what could happen? Well, no, and you can see, see in, in my home state of Wisconsin, you know, what a tricky issue this is. I mean, Ron Johnson's been, you know, flipping around like, you know, a trout out of, you know, on, on the bank of the river and on, on, on all of this. You know, and the polls are pretty clear. I think in Wisconsin, 72% yeah. of voters, you know, support the legalized same-sex marriage. And that includes 58% of Republicans. Right. So really, this is one where... Slam dunk. Yeah. And if you're going to politicize, do something that unites your own party and divides the opposition, right? Which they need to understand on a variety of other <laughs> yes. issues as well. This would seem to be an easy one. But I mean, it it is, as you point out, and you're not my party, there's something weird about this moment to... Think of all the progress that had been made, the sense that we'd, you know, you'd come to a different point in history and now, now realize that there is this huge push to roll so much of it back. I mean, it feels like we've regressed decades in the last 12 months uh, in, in, in terms of, of some things that we thought were, had been resolved. Yeah, probably not decades, but yeah, we're regressing. And this is why I think Ron Johnson's flopping around, you know, like the trout, uh, um, uh, because... I, for a while, I think he just assumed that there, there wasn't going to be any controversy in his own tent on this. That right. He could just say that. He could just vote for the own thing. But but the anti-gay, anti-LGBT rights kind of element within the Republican Party feels resurgent right now because they saw that the don't say gay thing in Florida was a winner. You know, look at what, what Youngkin is doing. Even the great Glenn Youngkin, you know, the moderate normal hope. Did you see this? What he passed? No. But they, what? So he, they put in some, uh, the Virginia Education Department, whatever it's called, sent to schools some guidance on on how to deal with the trans issue. And you know, we could do a whole podcast on the trans issue, but there was one thing that really stood out to me. It said that, that people can only be called a nickname that is a commonly held nickname of their first name on, of their first name on their school registry. And so it's like this is good. now we're circling back to the patriotic core. So it's like the state of Virginia wants to dictate <laughs> what nickname a kid can be called because they're afraid that some of these kids are asking to be called either non-gendered names or you know names that are more commonly associated with a different gender. They're, they're regulating nicknames. Or regulating nicknames because that allows you to troll trans Kids and trans families, that's the whole point. That's that's really the whole point of this. And so I think that there's just this feeling of them being emboldened. And, and to me, well, I don't like really think that the gay marriage thing would actually be overturned by the Supreme Court. Because of that, I think it's prudent to just say, let's stamp the shit out right now. Right? Like, let's well, pr- you I can mean, see what's happening. Yeah. Let's protect well, it. Well, I, I agree with you. And I think it is, in theory, I don't think the court is going to overturn that 
near term. However, there is not a majority on the court that supports the reasoning behind Obergefell. No. There is not a majority on the court that recognizes a constitutional right to privacy anymore. Yeah. And if you basically say you have five or maybe six justices who do not believe that there is a right to privacy in the Constitution, then what is the constitutional basis for decisions like, for example, Griswold with, with contraception? Or what was the case in Texas? The, uh, Lawrence. Lawrence in Texas. Yeah. All of those cases, I think, become more problematic. And by the way, Ron Johnson is going to win that election. I'm sorry. I, I, just, I, despite the trout flipping around. Did thing, we say I'm, this last week? I forget no, if I revealed I, it. I had a friend with an internal poll yeah, that showed me. And it's it's it's, con- it's concerning. This is the... It's such well, a lost opportunity. to do the gay marriage thing. At least that would give let, let Mandela be on offense. I'm not totally ready to throw in the towel yet, but it seems like in our little discussion, I, you... You, you have the edge. I, I, no, I'm, just, I'm just frustrated about it. Now, um, both parties have taken seats that were eminently winnable and decided to to squander it. And it's just that, again, this is, you know, people ought to be cautioned in politics not to engage in the rational fallacy, yeah. with the rational fallacy being assuming that people behave in a rational manner yeah. or always in their self-interest. Tim, have a great day here in Austin. You have a busy day. I'm going to see you later this afternoon when we, you know, bullshitting with the, <laughs> with the, with, with the bulwark. And then Amanda and I are going to come hang with you at Trivia Night, too. Awesome. All right. Sounds great. See you, Charlie. Good to do this in person. The Bulwark Podcast is produced by Katie Cooper with audio production by Jonathan Siri. I'm Charlie Sykes. Thank you for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. And we'll be back tomorrow. Do this all over again.